Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. BetOnline Sportsbook has all the odds, props, promos, and parlays you need during the bowl season in college football. 40 bowl games, a chaotic playoff picture that's going to have Michigan versus Alabama, Washington versus Texas, great college football on the way. You can use our promo code BLEAV. B-L-E-A-V with the link in the description to this episode and you can get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit over at Bet Online Sportsbook. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good afternoon or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping on into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. And podcasts aren't live. It's the whole purpose of this fantabulous podcast thing. You can listen however and whenever it is that you so choose, and we appreciate that you have decided to stop in however and whenever you may be choosing. Welcome, 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 everybody. It's another fan tabulous nfl monday here for week number 14 here on the nfl calendar super excited all of you could join us here today on the show we've got a fantabulous show planned for you today we're gonna dive into the buffalo versus kansas city game coming up a little bit later a game that at the start of the year you would have pinned down as the big game of the nfl season and now at this point in the season doesn't feel quite as big but was a big deal and now that the pittsburgh steelers have lost and the indianapolis colts uh, lost and the houston texans are seven and six now that everything has played out the buffalo bills are all of a sudden back in the playoffs after that whole panic of last week when the bills had a 15 percent chance of making the playoffs and now all the results broke their way and so Buffalo is now somehow back in the playoffs we'll talk about that a little bit later we'll give a Kirk Cousins purgatory award to a very very special special three to zero football game there's just so much stuff that we're not going to get to this week that normally would be a, a top of the show block here. The Baltimore Ravens and Rams game was the most fun in, a, in an NFL season where offense has been down. And I've continued to argue the point that I've argued for years now that the NFL peaked with that divisional round weekend two years ago that had all four games end on a last second kick and the Buffalo Kansas City game which is the greatest NFL football game that's ever been played for my money like the NFL peaked and it's just been like declining ever since in production and so that kind of hit this weekend because there was a lot of crappy football games like the Texans got the brakes blown off by Zach Wilson and the Jets a Zach Wilson and the Jets team Zach Wilson didn't want to play for the Jets 
Diana Rossini reported it. Zach Wilson told the Jets, eh, do I really trust you? No. Have you benched me twice now in consecutive seasons in embarrassing fashion? Yeah. Do I really want to play for your team? Not really. And then after all of that shit went down, Zach Wilson and the Jets ended up beating the brakes off the Houston Texans in one of those results that you just look up and say, hey, the year that the Bengals went to the Super Bowl, they got blown out by the Jets. It happens. Football's weird. That would be something that would be on the top of the docket. The The Ravens-Rams game would be something we definitely talk about because that was a 31-31 thriller with 40-yard touchdowns from both teams, a punt return touchdown to win the game for Baltimore in overtime, a last-second drive by the Rams down three that looked like Stafford threw an interception in the end zone, but then didn't throw an interception in the end zone. And then Brett Maher made the game tying kick for the Rams. And then they went to overtime and the Ravens returned that punt all the way back when the, the punt returner, who I think was Tyson Wallace, I think his name is Wallace got tripped up or uh, Tyson Campbell. It's either Wallace or Campbell. I think Wallace, but he got tripped up returning the punt and was stumbling and looked had broad daylight and it looked like he might trip, but he stayed on his feet and scored a touchdown. It was amazing. It was fun. The Ravens are now 10-3. and three. That would be a story that we'd normally come in here and talk in depth about on the podcast. And fortunately for you guys, we did a Ravens show with our friend Juju Talk Sports last week. It didn't make it into the Sports Radio Wednesday show, so we did a Wired Up podcast about the Baltimore Ravens that you can check out if you want more on the Ravens-Rams game, which was incredible. Check out the Wired Up episode that's right below this one on your podcast feed. If you're listening on Spotify, if you're listening on Apple, just go one episode down and listen to the Ravens podcast that we released on Saturday. Please check that out. It's really, really good. I think you guys will enjoy it. And so, Ravens and Rams game was awesome. The Jets beat the brakes off the Texans. That was really weird. The Bengals are all of a sudden back in the playoffs. It's like five teams are seven and six in the AFC now. It's all fun. It's all very interesting. And that's all the time we have for those topics because we are doing a special podcast here. We're coming to you live on NFL Monday. It is actually Monday December 11th. It's early in the morning. We're recording this podcast in the AM instead of doing it when we traditionally do it, which is either A, around when I'm working 49ers games for our Sacramento radio station, or B, in that little block of time in between the end of the afternoon games and Sunday night football. That's normally when we come in here and record our NFL Monday podcast. And the reason that we waited until Monday morning to put out this beautiful NFL Monday podcast is one of the biggest games of the NFL season was on Sunday night football. And the game that I knew we were going to need to come in here and talk about between the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles was played on Sunday night. So we waited until after the game was over to record this podcast and boy, did it not disappoint because exactly the result I was anticipating happened in that game and that result was Dak Prescott solidified himself as the NFL MVP and the Dallas Cowboys whooped dat ass whooped dat ass on the Philadelphia Eagles and look the Dallas Cowboys winning that game was something that I could see coming from a mile away because the Dallas Cowboys 
are the second best team in the NFC. And the Philadelphia Eagles, as the weeks go along, are fading from contention after a should-have-lost game against the Buffalo Bills three weeks ago. After lo- after a should-have-lost game the week before their bye against Kansas City. The Philadelphia Eagles should have, if expected win-loss record comes into play here, and we're not playing the actual results of the games, Philadelphia expected win-loss record over the previous four weeks according to football reference, is 0.8 and 3.2. The Eagles, over the last four games, Buffalo, Kansas City, the 49ers, and the Cowboys, their expected win-loss record is below one win. And even if you round up to say one win, that puts the Philadelphia Eagles at 9-4, and four, firmly in the wildcard position, and firmly behind the Dallas Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers as it relates to to the NFC playoff picture. And this was a result that was expected, expected that Dallas would put the hurt on the Philadelphia Eagles. Because since the Dallas Cowboys got the brakes beaten off of them by the San Francisco 49ers, the Dallas Cowboys have not lost a football game except for to the Philadelphia Eagles in a game that if Dak Prescott doesn't step out of bounds on the two-point conversion, they would have gone to overtime, which would have gave them a puncher's chance to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. So they were a 50-50 shot away from having a 50-50 shot to win that game. But besides the point, the Dallas Cowboys have lost one game since losing to the San Francisco 49ers. And since losing to the San Francisco 49ers, Dakota Prescott has 18 touchdowns, one interception, the best passer rating in the NFL, Dak Prescott is the NFL MVP. He's going to waltz in to winning the NFL MVP. And look, Juju Talk Sports and I did a YouTube video about the NFL MVP before this week. Some of the points have aged not as great, so I'm not going to include it here on the show. But look, Dak Prescott has put up MVP-level numbers for two months of the season. Numbers that rival Patrick Mahomes from last year, that rival Aaron Rodgers from 2020. For two months, Dak Prescott has been the best quarterback in the NFL. And in the past, that would be good enough to walk away with an MVP, no questions asked. And maybe some people were saying, well, it could be Brock Purdy. It could be Jalen Hurts. I mean, the Cowboys haven't beaten anybody. And like I articulated... To our friend Juju Talk Sports, I don't remember the world in which the Los Angeles Rams became a bunch of nobodies. Because in that game against the Los Angeles Rams that they played earlier this year, Dak Prescott completed 80% of his passes for 304 yards, four touchdowns, and the only interception that he has thrown since the Arizona Cardinals loss. I didn't recall the time, or sorry, since the San Francisco 49ers loss back in week five. I don't recall the time that the Seattle Seahawks became a bum team. And yes, the Seahawks have lost four in a row now, and two of them in pretty convincing fashion against the San Francisco 49ers. However, I don't remember the world in which Dak Prescott completing 70% of his passes for 300 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions against the Seattle Seahawks became beating a bum team like they did on that Thursday night football game. Uh, Even beating up against the Washington Commandos, Dak Prescott completed... 70% of his passes for 330 yards, 
four touchdowns, zero interceptions. And yes, the Washington Commanders stink, but that's a ridiculously good performance to put up against a team that you deem to be bad. And oh, by the way, that game against the Philadelphia Eagles that Dak Prescott lost completed 66% of his passes for 374 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, and if he doesn't step out of bounds on the two-point conversion, they go to overtime. A game that they might have won in overtime. They might have lost in overtime, but they would have been in overtime. Dallas Cowboys have scored more points this season than any team in the National Football League. And, by the way, have a DVOA top five ranked defense. Like in a world where the San Francisco 49ers don't exist because the San Francisco 49ers also have the number one offense in the NFL and the number three ranked defense in the NFL. A number three ranked defense that at times has not looked like the number three ranked defense in the NFL. If it weren't for the 49ers being so totally overwhelming, Dallas would be right up there with one of the three to four best teams in all of the National Football League. Right there with Baltimore, right there with Kansas City. Dallas would be that team competing for a Super Bowl. And only in a world where the San Francisco 49ers exist, and only in the world where we have that result flipped, where the Eagles beat the Dallas Cowboys back in week number 11, or 10, no, week 10, yeah, week 10 was, uh, week 9, wait, 14, 13, 12, yeah, week 9, back, back because we have that week 9 result of the Cowboys losing despite the fact Dak Prescott played an MVP-level performance, and despite the fact that they lost that game. In a world that the 49ers exist is only the world where people don't recognize the Dallas Cowboys as one of the three best teams in the NFL and recognize that the Philadelphia Eagles are kind of succumbing to the fate of a lot of teams in year two after a Super Bowl run, which is that right around that game 33 that you've played in the last 15 calendar months, right around game 33 is when some guys start to wear out like it's there's a reason that a team hasn't won back-to-back Super Bowls in 20 years. And there's also a reason that only one team has been to back-to-back Super Bowls with it or sorry, only two teams have been to back-to-back Super Bowls within the last 20 years. It's the Patriots who by the way lost the second Super Bowl. Well, they went to three straight, but lost the Super Bowl they went back-to-back to against Philadelphia. It's the Patriots. It's the Seahawks. And a third one is Kansas City. And if you'll remember, once Kansas City got to that Super Bowl in 2021, the brakes fell off against Tampa Bay because their offensive line got hurt and some receivers were out of gas and the defense couldn't hold up against Tampa Bay. Like the, the wheels fell off once they got to that Super Bowl. And I still hypothesize the reason they were able to get to that second Super Bowl in 2021 with Kansas City was just that the AFC was so damn terrible that year. Like, they just ran roughshod through an AFC. Like, that year, they sent Cleveland with Baker Mayfield to try and beat Kansas City. Kansas City won that game, and then they got Buffalo in the AFC Championship game, and they ran roughshod over Buffalo. Like, Kansas City, the wheels kind of fell off for them by the time they got to that Super Bowl. And this is kind of the time when teams that you think of as being repeat champions start to see the wheels fall off a little bit. It's happening with Kansas City right now. Now, we'll get to that game in a little bit. But with Philadelphia, you're starting to see the wheels fall off because 
the linebacking core had uh, lost some players like Kaiser White and, and TJ Edwards, and both of those guys leave. And then the second, the linebacking unit isn't good, and teams are picking them apart in the middle of the field. And their cornerback room is depleted. And Reed Blankenship, a rookie, has had to step up for them. Like the, this, this is the part of the season where the wheels start to fall off. And by the way, simultaneously, those players on offense are battling injuries too for the Philadelphia for the the Eagles. Like. Hurts got hurt at the end of last year. He's been battling injury for weeks now. DeAndre Swift hasn't had really anything going for a few weeks now, which might be a byproduct of offensive line play. But you look at the stats here for them. They had uh, receiving only three receivers that had a catch in the entire game. It was A.J. Brown, it was Devonta Smith, and it was Alamadeus Zacchaeus, a.k.a. some dude named Zacchaeus, as we joke. And Goddard got in there as well. So four players had a catch for the Philadelphia Eagles in that game. Like, this is the point where things start to unravel a little bit when you have played 33 football games within a span of 15, 16 months, which is essentially where the Eagles stand right now. And and physically, they're falling apart. They haven't been the same. And, and they just aren't as good as these teams that they're playing against. And granted, the NFC doesn't have very strong teams, so the Eagles will automatically get a path to the divisional round by virtue of playing in the NFC. And they've gone 7-1 and one in one-score games this year. Therefore, their expected win-loss record, which currently sits at, if I am to, to Google their, their pro football reference page real quick, the Philadelphia Eagles' expected win-loss record, I presume, is going to be a good bit lower than the 10-3 and record they presently have. Uh, their expected win-loss record is 7.0 and 6.0. This is a 7-6 and football team based on expected win-loss record that happens to be sitting at 10-3 and with a below-average defense that happens to be to play in the NFC and because they play in the NFC you've seen them win some games that they probably would lose otherwise and win some crazy one score games that Kansas City had them beat if MVS doesn't drop a touchdown pass and Buffalo had them beat if Josh Allen doesn't turn the ball over or miss Gabe Davis on that throw uh, Buffalo had them beat Kansas City had them beat They've lost two games in a row. They're a seven and six team by expected win loss record that happens to be ten and three. And I don't think it's anything that they're doing wrong. It's just that they they're worn out, man. <laughs> they're playing against really good teams. Buffalo, Kansas City, San Francisco, and Dallas might be four of the five best teams in the NFL this season based on DVO rank DVOA ranking. I'm looking at the DVOA rankings right now. Uh, San Francisco number one. Baltimore number two, the Kansas City Chiefs are number three, and D, uh, DVOA number four is Dallas. Number five is the Miami Dolphins, who granted they have not played, and number six is number six is Buffalo. So there you go. As of DVOA rankings coming into this week, they've played four of the six best teams in the NFL, and they should have lost all four games. They happen to get to two and two, and it's the reason that they're ten and three in the record column. But the Eagles are not as good as those teams at the top of the league. They are not a Super Bowl contender this year, and there's no shame in that. There is no shame in the Eagles not being a Super Bowl contender. But this specific result, where the Eagles get the brakes beat off them by the Cowboys, and the Cowboys look better than them in the in the running game on the offensive and defensive line, this this is these are dudes that have played a lot of football. 
And this wouldn't be the first time that you see something like this happen to a team that goes on a deep Super Bowl run. Let me point to the San Francisco 49ers of 2019. Let me point to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers of 2021 when they were defending the Super Bowl title from a couple of years ago. Let me go back to the damn Philadelphia Eagles that won the Super Bowl in 2017. That 2018 season, they they started out the season, uh, I think that year they started out 6-6, six and six, and then Nick Foles came in for an injured Carson Wentz, and they won their final four games of the season, and I think that got them the sixth seed in the playoffs. That was the year of the double doink. I'm pretty sure they started 6-6 six and six after winning that Super Bowl. Like, it's much more normal for these guys to get worn out once they hit that 33 game in a calendar year or a calendar year plus a couple a couple of months plateau. Like, it's physically grinding on them. And I think you're starting to see some of that with Philadelphia while simultaneously getting an absolute crap draw on the schedule. Just a crap draw of four of the six best teams in the NFL according to DVOA ranking four of the six best teams in the league back to back to back to back weeks in a month you're playing four of the six best teams in the league based on their performance adjusting for opponent and adjusting for averages compare or comparisons to league averages you're playing four of the six best teams within a span of a calendar month while you've already played 33 football games this stuff happens man like, maybe the Eagles figure it out, but this result was the most expected one I could think of. The Cowboys running rough shot over Philadelphia in that game on their home stadium with the division on the line. Yeah, this, this one was pretty expected because Dallas is a better team. They're a better team. And only in a world where the San Francisco 49ers exist are we not talking about Dallas as being the great team that they are. Dallas and San Francisco are two of the, the two best teams in the NFC. I know that's really weird to say. I know it's stupid because of the rivalry in the 90s that the NFL has been trafficking on for like 30 years. And those fan bases are both gigantic and two of the four national brands that exist in the NFL. Because if you're thinking of teams that have fans in every part of the country, it's Dallas, it's New England, because a lot of people from Boston move all over the country. It's Dallas, it's the Patriots, it's the 49ers, and it's maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, like those are the teams that have fans in every part of the country. And probably New York, too, a little bit, because people from New York move all over. But that, that's kind of split between the Giants and Jets. Like, you're going to get a healthy mix of both if you have New York fans moving all over the country. Like, the national brands of the sport happen to be the two best teams in the sport. I know that's kind of annoying. I know that's kind of weird. But Dallas and San Francisco are the two best teams in the NFC. There was no question in my mind two weeks ago that this was the case. Now everyone got to see it in real time as the Cowboys whooped dat ass and will take the number one or number two seed in the NFC that they so rightly deserve. And Dak Prescott will get to take that MVP that this year he so rightly deserves, deserves to win that MVP award. You throw 
a forced TD. On a dime, you ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes, avenging your past mistakes and take the Bills to the big game. Three years, I thought you was phony. Got digs, then you flipped it on me. I was thinking you were Carson Wentz. You made your mark, became an MVP. Deep throws, always looking daunting. Tossed up to Davis and McKenzie. It's hard for teams to deny it. When Allen beats double safeties. You keep losing to Mahomes. Sitting on the bench, 13 to go. Overtime coin flips turned up wrong. Makes your season seem so marginal. And this year you'll find a way. Gonna get past Kansas City. Allen and the Bills are gonna be. Super Bowl champs 2023. Oh, I wanna run the ball, don't wanna slide, I just wanna dive. Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball. I wanna run the ball, don't wanna slide, I'm just gonna dive. Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball. You throw a fourth TD. On a dime, you ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes, avenging your past mistakes and take the Bills to the big game. All right, Kansas City has lost to Buffalo. And by the way, congratulations to Josh Allen. We made that song back in 2022 when Buffalo was playing Kansas City and Buffalo playing Kansas City felt like it meant something. Shout out to you, Josh Allen. It's still 2023 and you have taken down Andy Reid and his schemes Buffalo beat Kansas City. Congratulations. Now, did Kansas City's wide receivers lose the game for them for the third time this season? Yes. Yes, they did. I was talking about the Tariq Hill trade the other day with Emil Fergoso, who you've heard on the on this show before. He, he's a friend of mine who, who works over at Sackdown Sports. Uh, he's their 49ers reporter, knows a lot of NFL stuff. I was having this conversation with him about the Tariq Hill trade and how if Kansas City holds on to Tariq Hill and pays him the extension that they anticipate, you it, it, just by instinct take away Trent McDuffie and Leo Chanel from that defense because those were the draft picks that they took in exchange for Tariq Hill from the Dolphins. They probably don't re-sign Chris Jones, and you're looking at, once again, a Kansas City offense that does not have any defensive skill players while having an offense that is going to be number one or number two in the league but can't put up... Uh, can't get stops in order to support Patrick Mahomes in their offense. And in the modern NFL uh, of the last two years, when there are ways to scheme against these defenses and limit scoring for these offenses, uh, that this might and, and that people have figured out that you can play two high safeties and double team Kelsey and dare these receivers and running backs to beat them slow motion wise. And Mahomes beat them last year. Mahomes beat up the league by completing 15 passes in a row, taking what was given to him, scheming 
receivers not named Kelsey open. They, they were able to figure it out last year to Mahomes winning MVP and Super Bowl MVP and Kansas City running rough shot over the league. Like, they were able to figure it out last year, but I still don't think they regret trading Tariq Hill because of the improvements that they had made on defense. Uh, and then the last two games happened for Kansas City where I look up and I'm like, yeah, shit, Kansas City might have made a mistake trading Tariq Hill because the defense hasn't given them the stops that they've needed in big moments, and their receivers have lost them three games this year, and it's plainly obvious that the receivers have lost them three games this year. Like, you could go into the stats, and you could go into the books with Kansas City and and, follow, and watch the tape, look at the numbers, and look at the advanced, uh, advanced DVOA numbers and pro football focus grades. You could do all that to show that Kansas City's receivers are struggling this season. But what you can also do is just watch how plainly obvious it was that their receivers have cost them three games this season. Three of their five losses have just plainly been on the receivers. Kadarius Tony dropped four passes in the first game of the season. Four passes. If he drops only two of those, they beat Detroit the first game of the season. If he drops only two of the four... They win that game. In the Philadelphia Eagles game, they scheme open Marquez Valdez-Scantling past the safeties to beat the Philadelphia defense. He straight drops the winning touchdown. Straight drops it. Is the, is the laugh of the league for the next week that Marquez Valdez-Scantling dropped a touchdown pass. Just as Kadarius Toney was the laugh of the league for three days after the opening night that they lost that game. Two games you can point to the receivers losing. Now, the Green Bay game last week, which we didn't talk about because we recorded NFL Monday before Sunday Night Football, so we kind of have two Kansas City losses to dissect. That one was on Mahomes. That's the first game this season I can point to and say they would have lost that game regardless of who was playing receiver. Kansas City would have lost that game regardless of who was playing receiver for their team. And then this week... Dude, who I think was Marquez Valdez-Scantling, but I'm not 100% sure. Dude lined up offsides on a 50 on a 25-yard completion to Travis Kelsey that would have put them in field goal range and sent the game to overtime. Or maybe they just go down and score a touchdown anyways. Like Marquez Valdez-Scantling lining up offside on a 25-yard completion to Kelsey that puts them firmly in field goal range is the reason they lose that football game. Their best crack at it gets taken away by the wide receivers. The, the plays that get them into the winning positions, the receivers take it away by drop passes, drop passes, and lining up offsides on fucking offense, lining up offsides, and like way offside, so offside that the referee can't even like fake it that he's close. No, just way fucking offsides to cost Kansas City the game. And so now you look at the like Tariq Hill trade and it's like, yeah, they, you know, there's all these cases being made for this is the best defense Patrick Mahomes has ever had. And now there's some debate whether this is the best defense of the Mahomes era for Kansas City because like the Super Bowl, the first Super Bowl team in 2019 finished ranked 10th in the league. And right now some places have them ranked 9th. They'll probably be ranked 12th at the end of this week based on the performance they put up against Buffalo. They're kind of like just as good as that defense that they had in 2019. But regardless of what you think about the defensive improvements, like the wide receivers have cost them three games, and it's pretty plain and obvious that the wide receivers have cost them three games, despite the fact that Kansas City is still top five in the league in offense, even without Tariq Hill and even with the wide receivers costing them all these games, they're still top five in offense, and they are still 
still, still, still a top 10 team in DVOA defense. And yet they're 8-5 and five because their wide receivers have cost them three games now. And maybe they lose to Buffalo anyways. Even though Josh Allen's 0-6 in overtime games and they would have been playing in position to win that game. And Josh Allen must have nightmares. Nightmares about Mahomes holding the ball late in these games. The best punch Kansas City could give him was taken away by the wide receivers for the third time this year. And that's plainly infuriating because you know Kansas City can get the number one seed in the AFC. And now the number one seed looks to be about down the drain unless Kansas City wins out the rest of the season. And even if they win out the rest of the season, which is very likely because they play Jake Browning's Bengals, the Raiders, the Chargers, and the Patriots. So like they'll probably win all of those games the rest of the season. But if they do, they will be sitting firmly at 12-5, and which I don't think is going to be good enough to get them the number one seed in the AFC, even tiebreakers involved, because that would require the Ravens to go 2-2 and the rest of the year, and the Ravens still have a game against, I believe, Jake Browning's Bengals. So not looking great for the chances of Kansas City getting the one seed. They'll probably end up in the two seed which means they still have a chance to host every single playoff game that they play. But if they do end up in the number two seed, that is not going to be very fun for Kansas City because Kansas City is a team that probably should be 11-2, and 10-3. No, the receivers have cost them three games this year. And congratulations to you, Buffalo, for getting back in the playoff race because this thing looked like it was about to fall off the rails. I kind of just want to talk about the Sean McDermott 9-11 thing real quick because that broke during the week last week and we didn't have a podcast after the fact. I mean, we did put out the Baltimore Ravens episode, but we didn't really have a podcast the rest of the week. Um, Every pundit that I saw talking about Sean McDermott 9-11 wasn't trying to make this a grander societal point or make this a point of Sean McDermott needs to be terminated. And I understood if this was the straw that broke the camel's back on some of the McDermott stuff, given that they were 6-6, six and six, and given some of the other stuff in the Tyler Dunn report, the Buffalo Bills are kind of self-aware about, about how McDermott blames Josh Allen, his golden boy quarterback that has protected a lot, has covered up a lot of his mistakes over the years and didn't take accountability for losing that playoff game. That was 13 ticks, holy shit, Patrick Mahomes going to overtime and and the greatest football game we've ever seen played. Never really took accountability for the defense fucking up the way it did. Has fired both coordinators now within a span of a few years. Like, yeah, there's some stuff that this might have been the straw that broke the camel's back on all this Sean McDermott stuff. But I'm kind of glad that... No one took that angle on it and more so just took the stance of this is either idiotic or this is hilarious because most of the response that I saw from people who didn't want to touch this material is like, you can't make a comparison to 9-11 in a team meeting that is pro-Al-Qaeda. Which is like the most obvious thing ever at this point. And I'm glad that we're now far enough removed from 9-11 because I've said this before in in comedy spaces. I'm born in 2001, man. Like 9-11 means something different to me than it does to a lot of people listening to this show and people trying to comment about Sean McDermott and 9-11. It probably means something different to those guys in the locker room because most of them were between the age of 0 and 10 
during the time when 9-11 was happening, which means it's a bit of a different relationship for those players than it is for Josh, for Sean McDermott and some of the people in that locker room. But I'm glad that most people took either the obvious angle of just saying comparing Al-Qaeda to a well-run organized machine, a well-organized team, which is a thing that Sean McDermott did while head coach of the Buffalo Bills, which is like, oh no, I can't believe that happened. Most people were saying that is bad which is like the obvious easy stance to take. Either that or they were just finding it that this story was fucking hilarious, which I think is the correct response to take. I'm glad no one took the serious angle on this because it was just really fucking funny or it was just really stupid, depending on your vantage point and in some cases your your level of propaganda belief about 9-11 in the Iraq war. But like besides that part of it, like your beliefs about 9-11 in the Iraq war will probably influence some of your feeling about this. But I just took that and I laughed at it, just laughed at how amazing that story was. Amazingly funny that Sean McDermott in a team meeting back in 2019 compared Al-Qaeda to a well-run a well-run team and started quizzing players on it. It was just so funny. So funny. And I'm so glad that so many people took the funny route on talking about that story or the route that they took on that story was just not talking, like just saying it is bad and condemning him for being dumb and not going any further than that. And it was just so great to see everyone rally around, wow, this is really dumb or if you have that cyclical sense of humor like I do, wow, that is really, really funny. It's really, really funny that Sean McDermott was out here comparing the Al-Qaeda 9-11 terrorists to a well-run organization and quizzing players about how they were a well-run organization. It's really, it's, it's like parody. It's like dark humor parody of the, the most football brain of football brain coaches and it's just so goddamn funny. So funny that I had to spend five minutes. I don't even want to talk about the Buffalo Bills performance. I've, I've We've spent multiple podcasts talking about the Buffalo Bills performance this year. Most of what we said last week still stands. Go listen to Wednesday's NFL Monday podcast if you want some serious Buffalo Bills analysis. The entire analysis I can give you on the Bills beating Kansas City this week is Sean McDermott compared... I've well compared the Al-Qaeda 9-11 terrorists to a well-run team and wanted his players to give him examples about why they were a well-run team. That's my analysis of the Buffalo Bills winning this week. If you want serious Buffalo Bills analysis, check out one of our other shows. I'm just going to laugh at that story and be fortunate that everyone else laughed at that story and didn't didn't turn it into a think piece and regenerated a lot of conversations around the propaganda of 9-11. Thank God that that was not the response people took to that, because it was just fucking hilarious. All right. It's time for us to award our week 14 Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. Award that we hand out every single week to the quarterback who finds themselves down six, no timeouts, one minute to play, and needing to go the length of the field to try and win a game for his team. An award that Kirk Cousins, prior to injury, spent 30% of his football games over the last three years in that purgatory between three to six points, 
three to seven points or so needing to lead a comeback and in the spirit of Kirk Cousins the Minnesota Vikings and Las Vegas Raiders played an entire football game in Kirk Cousins purgatory something I've maybe never seen before in my time the Minnesota Vikings and Las Vegas Raiders had this as their stat line for the game this was the drive chart punt 12 play 8 minute drive to start the game ended in a punt for the Raiders Viking 3 and out punt Raiders 4 minute drive 17 yards punt Vikings 322 on the drive gained 11 yards punt Raiders 3 and out punt Vikings, 6-minute and 20-second drive. Missed field goal by Greg Joseph. Raiders, 3-and-out, punt. Vikings punt, end of half. 0-0, begin of second half. Vikings, 6-play, 3-minute drive. They gained 3 yards of offense in 6 plays. Punt. Raiders move the ball into Viking territory, fumble back to the Vikings. Vikings get the ball, run a five-minute drive with eight plays, gain a whopping total of 22 yards. Didn't even have a negative play on that drive. You want to know what their yards gained on that drive were? Negative one, or sorry, zero, eight, four, five, six, zero, zero, incomplete pass, punt. They didn't even have a negative play. On an 8-play, 22-yard, 5-minute drive. Raiders get the ball. 6 plays. Gain 17 yards. Punt. Vikings get the ball. Run a 3-minute drive. Punt. Raiders 3 and out. Punt. Vikings 3 and out. Punt. Raiders 3 and out. Punt. Vikings 4 plays. Punt. Raiders 3 and out. Punt. Vikings. Game-winning field goal. Raiders interception, Vikings punt, Raiders fumble. A Kirk Cousins purgatory game. A game spent in Kirk Cousins purgatory. Raiders and Vikings, congratulations. Just (laughs) truly, truly magnificent, magnificent football. Both teams are on their Tommy DeVito quarterback at this point. The Raiders have a sixth-round rookie playing at quarterback. The Vikings benched Josh Dobbs for Nick Mullins. Just magical. Magical how bad both of those teams were playing. Josh Dobbs averaged 2.7 yards per pass attempt through the air. That was a masterclass of bad football. Did I watch any of it? No, I did not. I was watching Buffalo, Kansas City. Do I want to go back and see what happened in that truly atrocious game? A little sick part of me does. So congratulations to you, Josh Dobbs and Aiden O'Connell. The Vikings Raiders 3-0 game belongs in the Kirk Cousins Purgatory Hall of Fame. Just truly, truly, truly terrible football all across the board. So much so we need to memorialize it in Kirk Cousins Purgatory. All three quarterbacks, all of you deserve an award.
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We have episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We're going to have some breakdown of Shohei Otani signing with the Los Angeles Dodgers. We're going to have some fun football segments and all sorts of great, great content coming at you the rest of this week. Check out the previous podcast that we have on here. There's all sorts of fun, great content, fun guests, all sorts of fun stuff. Just scroll through, see if you find something you like. Give it a listen. Leave a five-star review, download, any and all support is greatly, greatly appreciated. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday. And in the meantime, take it easy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.